0: Hello and welcome to the reading of the business record for Friday, April 8th, 2022. I'm your reader, Susan Hack. This week's cover story is from the Fearless column. Overwhelmed, overscheduled, overburdened. This year's annual Fearless survey, 80% of Iowa women said they're burned out. Other top issues include childcare, pay equity, and harassment. By Emily Kestel Since 2016, the Business Record has published a survey dedicated to shining a light on issues that women face in Iowa, both at work and at home. The survey is not scientific, and different people respond every year, but one thing has remained the same. Iowa women have yet to experience equity with their male counterparts in many aspects of life. The following responses and analysis aim to provide a wide angle view on some of the biggest issues that respondents identified, including burnout, pay, childcare, representation of women in leadership and political positions, and treatment at work. More topics such as family leave policies, the Me Too movement, conversations about social issues, and the role of male allies will be covered in depth in future business record and fearless stories. Sign up to receive the weekly Fearless newsletter to be the first to read the analysis at fearlessbr.com forward slash e newsletter forward slash. In the editor's note, Due to rounding, some percentages may not add up to exactly 100, and written responses have been lightly edited and condensed for clarity. The first survey question, what are the biggest challenges, obstacles, or barriers that you and other women face at work? Women continue to face the same barriers at work that they have for the last several decades including sexism, harassment, and lack of representation. Women continue to make less money than their male counterparts and have yet to see equal representation in many C-suite or board positions. Women also continue to live in fear of their emotional and physical safety. One example worth mentioning, within the last year, unprovoked attacks on Asian women have skyrocketed. One thing you'll discover as you read these responses is that what affects women at home also affects them at work. And Following are some quotes from the respondents. It is absolutely exhausting that in 2022, we are still facing and talking about so many of the same challenges that have existed for decades. Equal pay, access to opportunities, flexible work, Navigating biases, and physical and emotional safety. And let's be clear, while these are common barriers for all women, women of color are disproportionately impacted across the board. Another response, equal pay, opportunities for advancement, having a voice or seat at the decision-making table. Middle-aged women continue to be passed over and underestimated. Women remain underrepresented in leadership, especially political leadership. Even though we have record-breaking numbers of women in elected roles, the staff positions remain significantly dominated by men. Literally everything. I feel like I am constantly explaining why my kids, or I, God forbid, have doctor's appointments, sickness, or school-related absences. This is a fact of life. Employers need to get on board to see that we are all trying to do our best with limited resources. It is incredibly frustrating that as moms, we take the brunt of everything and oftentimes end up sacrificing our own health and well-being for job opportunities. There are many, but here are the two biggest. One, women's work is overall valued less than men's. And two, the mental load of being the primary caregiver at home and increasing challenges in the workplace at a time when most childcare options are hard to find. I'm not in the workplace, only watching and listening to those who are. Leadership is expressing genuine fear about availability of the workforce. The upward pressure on wages, costs associated with COVID, and the supply chain disruption are all serious challenges. These affect women so much because they are most often the front line, paid the least, yet the most necessary. Women of color not only have to navigate a work world that was designed by and for men, but also one that was designed by and for white people. Sexual harassment and assault continue to plague the workplace, especially when power dynamics put a woman in a more vulnerable position. Often, women have to decide whether to set boundaries or experience career advancement. Remote and hybrid work introduces flexibility, but may limit future promotion opportunities. The next survey question, what are the biggest challenges, obstacles, or barriers that you and other women face outside of work? The juggling act of being fully present at work and at home was a common theme this year for those with children. One person summed it up like this, quote, The internal and external struggle that one cannot be both successful in work and also being a parent, end quote. And some quotes from the respondents. I would be remiss if I didn't speak to the high levels of violence men commit towards women. If you haven't experienced it personally, most women know someone who has been affected by violence and are aware that it could happen to them. An author who speaks on women's rights has posted this question every year for the past four to five years on Twitter. Quote, women, imagine that for one day men were removed, just one day, they would return the next day without harm or impact to them. What would you do? End quote. Do you know what the number one response has been by tens of thousands of women every year? Quote, I want to be able to go for a run or walk at night while listening to my headphones. End quote. That's it, to just exist without threat to our safety. Another response, childcare. Iowans should be outraged with lawmakers, policymakers, and employers who fail to see that valuing women employees means also helping to provide adequate and safe childcare at all ages. The pandemic revealed that there is little momentum or desire to address this by the men who fill most of these positions, many who want to protect unborn children but then do not address the care needed for them when they are outside a uterus. Insufficient childcare and high-priced childcare: the amount of domestic work on top of a career, lack of mental health resources, unfair and inequitable health care systems. domestic violence. New legislation regulating abortion is going to significantly set women back professionally, financially and potentially even physically. Trying to do it all. Women have been some of my biggest supporters, and a lot of women haven't been. We still have an opportunity even more to come together and respect and support the decisions each other has made as fellow women. Working outside of the home, staying home, or leading a company, it's all just personal choice. Trying to juggle a variety of work and non-work obligations, including childcare, household labor, trying to maintain relationships, volunteer work, and still trying to find time for hobbies and relaxation, all while fielding calls and texts for work-related questions in what's supposed to be non-work time. The next question in the survey, what do you consider to be some of the biggest advancements of women in the last year? As expected, responses to this question question were wide ranging. Many were sports related, which is fitting, given that 2021 and 2022 were Olympic years. Women also saw historic gains in both the private and public sectors in terms of representation in high-level positions. To name a few within the last year, Jane Fraser became the first woman to lead one of Wall Street's four major banks. Mary Barrow became the first woman to lead the business roundtable. The number of women running Fortune 500 companies hit a record high at 41. And Ngozi okonjo iweala became the first woman to lead the World Trade Organization. Want to see more historic gains and milestones of women within the last year? Check out an archived fearless newsletter at bit.ly forward slash three capital D B G Y, capital N, capital A. Another theme that I saw in responses with was that there continues to be a greater sense of awareness and action by employers in response to issues that women face, including access to affordable child care and paid family leave. Some quotes from the respondents we're slowly starting to see more female leaders in higher-level roles in large organizations. Equal pay for women's soccer, pay transparency laws. Outstanding success of women athletes in the Olympics. Nominating a black woman to the U.S. Supreme Court. Highly visible and placed positions in the federal government greater visibility of women in local public policy and social issues. The accomplishments and leadership we have from multiple companies, across the state and at the government level as well. Our governor is well-spoken, and whether you agree with her or not, she is a woman and has stayed poised, respectful, and strong in navigating the past couple years. Of the students who received their master's degree in business administration in 2019 to 2020 at Iowa State, 50% of them were women. This is in the same ballpark of the nationwide number of 48.5%. The most visible state positions, governor, Iowa Economic Development Authority, Iowa Workforce Development, etc., are women. We have a woman senator and three women members of the House. Women are being chosen to lead across the state. Many organizations are ensuring that women are included in conversations and opportunities where they were previously overlooked. Women have always had a voice, but in the past year I've noticed women using their voices collectively to demand change. It's not just individuals sharing their stories and speaking their truth, It's masses of women working together to amplify the message, so it's impossible to ignore. The next survey question In the past five years, have women made significant progress in obtaining a better balance of gender parity in politics? We didn't include an undecided option in this year's survey. Nevertheless, the majority of respondents in the last three surveys indicated that they do believe there's been significant progress made on the gender equality front. Some highlights 28% of Iowa legislators are women. Iowa's congressional delegation is majority women. The U.S. has a woman as vice president for the first time, and a record number of women are currently serving in Congress. Furthermore, in just three election cycles, Iowa has gone from never electing a woman as governor to an election where both major parties are likely to nominate a woman. Quotes from the respondents. Progress, yes. Equality, no. Yes, but I don't think it's enough, nor the end of the story. Too often we frame things in black and white when things are often gray. The glass ceiling has been broken to the extent it is less notable for women to seek elective office. It's happened at nearly all levels. I see more women in Congress. I am pleased to see a woman nominated for the Supreme Court and a president who cared enough to have a diverse cabinet. I may not agree with the president nor Iowa's governor on all policies, but I see efforts to have women lead. Yes, I think we've seen more female candidates and, of course, had successful elections. We should celebrate the advancement of women serving regardless of political affiliation. I know I do, even if I don't agree with a particular woman's platform. Women who have been elected continue to be bullied. One need only to look at Representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Liz Cheney for examples. Politics over the last five years have been a circus, and women have been represented in ways that make me cringe. The next survey question, How big an issue do you perceive access to affordable child care in Iowa to be? As in most other states, access to affordable, quality childcare in Iowa was an issue long before the pandemic thrust it into the spotlight. About a quarter of Iowans live in a childcare desert, and parents can expect to pay more than one thousand dollars per month on childcare. Furthermore, the childcare industry has not been immune to the workforce shortages that have plagued the nation. Childcare workers make just over twenty thousand dollars per year on average, leading them to look for higher paying work elsewhere. And a shortage of workers leads to a shortage of available care. Last year, Governor Kim Reynolds assembled a task force to come up with solutions, many of which have already been implemented or are working their way through the legislature. Quotes from the respondents. Childcare access in Iowa is outrageous. It's expensive and it's a hard industry where workers, mostly women, are hugely underpaid. Rural child care is even worse. I pay more for childcare than rent. You don't get to be picky about where your child goes because there are wait lists everywhere. If you want a particular place, you have to get on the list before your child is even born. Wages need to be higher to retain good staff, and incentives need to be given to companies to invest in childcare for their employees. There are not enough quality childcare spots in Iowa, and it is very expensive. The recent grants aren't cutting it. The only reason I stayed in the workforce when my children were of child care age was to continue to feed into my retirement a little and keep our family medical insurance coverage. Most of my paycheck went to paying our child care bill. It's a chicken and egg problem. If child care workers were paid more, parents couldn't afford to pay for the care. Therefore, I suggest the federal government remove the cap on the amount that can be set aside in a flex account. This will allow parents to pay for childcare with pre tax dollars. I believe we are going to have to look at childcare as a government and private sector supported service that is critical to supporting workers. When I was raising my own daughters, women were often criticized for working outside the home. And therefore, there was no willingness to support childcare needs. Today, we recognize that women are needed in the workplace, but we have not adapted to provide safe, effective, affordable, and accessible options for childcare. The next survey question The 2021 Women in the Workplace Report by Lean In and McKinsey found that women are significantly more burned out than ever before. Have you personally experienced burnout within the last year? The word burnout has been tossed around a lot the last few years. Researchers generally define burnout as a syndrome manifested through three primary aspects, exhaustion, cynicism, and a sense of ineffectiveness. Note. When you adjust to look only at responses from women who answered this question, the rate of respondents who answered yes increases to 80%. All responses, including men, had yes responses at 76%. That being said, men aren't immune from burnout either. A recent New York Times piece indicated that the way men primarily experience burnout is through cynicism, which may look like depersonalization or emotional distancing. Women tend to experience burnout more through the aspect of exhaustion. That checks out in many of the responses. Several mentioned taking a step back or stepping away entirely from their commitments in order to address burnout the respondents quotes overwhelmed overscheduled overburdened overworried not sleeping well muscles always tense unable to relax for me it's the non-stop part of being a working mother there is not a moment it seems when i am not needed by children or work as a single mom working full time Burnout doesn't even begin to describe it. I am exhausted end-to-end by the pandemic, workplace demands in a time where people can and should be more flexible, and ongoing turmoil with school operations. I am tired, yes, but I'm energized by the amazing work that I see going on around me. I also stepped into a new leadership position, so I'm more energized than exhausted, even though I'm running hard. I cut back on long hours a few years ago after determining that my health, family, and friendships deserved more time than my career. I left my job of 14 years because I couldn't handle the juggling act anymore. Now I'm doing something that is much more flexible, which is what I need at this stage in my life. My biggest burnout was and still is the lack of equality and respect. My workload continues to increase, but my pay and the level of respect I receive do not increase. No one else is qualified to do my job or has the ability to do my job, but I am not respected at all. I am the only female in my warehouse. I am constantly subjected to sexual conversations and overall belittlement of my ability to do my job. If I report it, my supervisor makes a couple comments to fellow employees, telling them to stop or risk getting written up, which generally makes things worse. Nothing ever happens and the behavior continues. I am ready to just quit my job, but I cannot afford to be unemployed. Stress, depression, anxiety, and the lack of mental clarity are all new issues for me in the last two years. I'm not managing it well right now, but I plan to remove a large volunteer segment from my life to open up more time and headspace for work and family. COVID burned out everyone. I want to be responsible for my children's education. The attitude of schools and their unwillingness to be in person for a long period of time burned out every mom in the world. I try to be perfect at the office and a perfect mother, which typically leaves me feeling like I am not perfect at either. This also leaves no time to focus on myself and recharge. The next survey question. How big an issue do you perceive pay inequity in Iowa to be? Compared with last year's findings, roughly the same rate of respondents indicated that pay inequity is a minor issue. This year, though, a higher rate of respondents indicated that it was a middle-of-the-road issue rather than a major one. Since Equal Pay Day was introduced in 1996, the U.S. has improved on pay disparity by just $0.08. Then, women were making about $0.75 for every dollar a white man earned. Now it's $0.83. When you break it down further, women of color continue to lag further behind. Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander women make $0.75 for every dollar a white man makes. For black ma- black women, it's fifty-eight cents. For Native American women, it's fifty cents. And for Latinas, it's forty-nine cents. The opinions on how to tackle this gap different. Look for more. Look for more coverage on this topic in future Fearless Stories. Quotes from the respondents: We have challenges, but no more so than other states. Pay inequity needs to be addressed at the job level and account for p- performance, not just experience or women will always be underpaid due to maternity leave and childcare. If the stats still show the pay for the same ex- exact job is different, that ought to be a crime. It's hard to have pay equity if one person has been in a job for 10 years and the other hasn't. Why is it fair to have them in the same pay. It isn't. Can't help it if the mother had to take a career break to be a full-time mother for a couple years or so. Perhaps there could be some pay scale that adds those non-worked years into the pay at 50 to 75 percent so the pay isn't so disparate between co-sectioned workers and those women who had to take a few years break. This would be bold and very fair and also encourage women to be a full-time mom for at least one to five years up until full-time kindergarten. There is a pay gap as well as an opportunity gap. The higher paying positions are more frequently held by men, so more women need to be given or earn those positions. For starters, require companies to disclose pay at time of hire and annually at a minimum. With more women in positions of leadership, this could self-correct. The next survey question, do you feel that you've been treated equally to your male co-workers? This question also appeared in the 2017 survey, and responses were similar. 27% of respondents said yes, 65% said no, and 8% put NA A for not applicable. The fact that the percentage of people who answered no is nearly identical to this year's responses means that substantial progress has not been made. Quotes from the respondents, I am viewed as too young or inexperienced compared with male counterparts who are the same age or younger. The moment I became a mother, my career track changed. In one high-level job, I explained the hours I would need to work to balance family obligations. Within a year, I was told I was not meeting expectations because I was not attending enough networking events or staying late enough at the office. By my coworkers, yes. By clients, I often feel like I'm not taken as seriously. I am expected to be the note-taker, meeting scheduler, etc. I deal with an enormous amount of both sexual comments and mistreatment that the manager closes their eyes to, even when I report it. While it wasn't true in my early career, it is true in my current workspace. We are valued for what we contribute, not how we look. Men are immediately looked at as leaders. Women have to work to prove it. Survey question. What are effective ways for men to be allies to women? It's just a fact. Women won't experience gender equality without the participation of men. One person wrote, I don't think most men have ill intent to hold women back. I think most are truly oblivious that they are doing simple things that have a great impact on the culture and ability to provide an inclusive workplace for all genders, end quote. There are dozens of ways men can be ab- allies to women in both work and life. Many of the responses indicated that education on gender inequality Listening to women's experiences and being involved in household labor would help. Find more ways that men can be successful allies for women on the Fearless website at bit.ly forward slash 3T capital O lowercase h capital D lowercase b r. Quotes from the Respondents. When women share ideas in meetings, vocally acknowledge them and their ideas, and pay attention if someone shares something similar to what a woman previously said. Say something like, your point is good and reinforces the point that Kathy made a moment ago. Research shows that women's ideas aren't heard and acted upon in the same way as when a man speaks in meetings. Find ways to ensure women are paid or asking their worth. My first paid speaking engagement, I submitted a proposal to the client unsure what to charge and put an amount that felt big to me at the time. He came back and said, I'm going to level with you. I want you to at least double your rates because my leadership team won't take you seriously if you aren't charging at least X. Also, know that company Y charges X for the same work. If you have access to information or authority to change what they make, make sure you are helping women ask for and get what they deserve. Become a champion and mentor. Advocate for opportunities and coach when it makes sense. Research consistently shows that access to mentoring and sponsors at work decreases when you are a woman and the gap is wider if you are a woman of color. For the men who may still be holding on to fear from not wanting to engage alone with women because of the Me Too movement, it's really quite simple. Just think, view, and respect the women in your work world as colleagues. Spend time learning about the challenges that women face. Listen to their stories And get courageously curious with yourself about what beliefs you might hold or biases may be unchecked that could impact how you show up. It isn't a question of if you have bias. We all have bias. But what are you doing to see, notice, and challenge those biases? Listen and be empathetic to the unique issues we are faced with between work and family life. Offer ways to offer support and flexibility to women so we can still maintain our voice and role at high levels. Men in leadership positions, from the state house to the office, recognize that moms are some of the best employees. We are adept at time management and juggling priorities. We want the best for everyone. Trust that we can do the work, but it might not look like traditional hours or settings. Take greater responsibility for raising a family. Be willing to discuss ways to stop seeing the world as us versus them. Equality can't happen when everyone is in a defensive stance. And the final survey question, rate how supportive you perceive these industries and groups to be of women in business. This question has appeared in every gender issues survey that the business record has published. This year, we decided to look at the previous five years to see what progress has been made, if any. The ranking reflects an average based on respondents assigning each area of value from 1 to 10, with 1, being not very supportive, and 10, being very supportive. Most of the rankings hover around the five-point mark, which signals that we still have a long way to go on the road to progress. No individual group shows a steady path forward. Averages fluctuate from year to year. The groups include how supportive you perceive the world to be, the US government, the state of Iowa government, bankers, lenders, and investors, media, men, and women. When looking at responses from 2018 compared with 2022, the area with the largest positive point difference was the US government, which show it, sh- saw a 1.5 point increase from 4.3 to 5.8 out of 10. The two areas that saw negative point differences were the state of Iowa government and the media. Further analysis of this question will appear in future fearless coverage. And that concludes the survey. You're listening to the reading of the business record for Friday, April 8th, 2022, on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. This week's feature story Iowa Stops Hunger Free Food for All by Hannah Sawyer. Five years ago, the Drake Neighborhood Little Free Pantry Project installed its first wooden box as a community food initiative with the guiding principle to take what you need and leave what you can. Given the speed at which these pantries are emptied, usually within a few hours, the need for them continues to grow. Little Free Pantry is a grassroots project that launched in 2016 in Fayetteville, Arkansas. As 1 in 11 Iowans face hunger, according to Feeding America, the free pantries address local and immediate needs, especially as the pandemic continues to affect access to food. The Drake area qualifies as a food desert, a classification by the U.S. Department of Agriculture for urban areas in which it is difficult to get affordable, healthy food. Around 15% of the neighborhood's families receive Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, benefits. I believe change starts in our own community, says Stacia Humphrey, the Food Security Community Engagement Peer in Drake University's Office of Community-Engaged Learning. Residents may face barriers in gaining access to programs such as SNAP benefits or traditional food pantries, including limited hours, distance, and restrictions on frequency of use. In addition to food, people can donate other needed essentials such as feminine hygiene products, gloves, hats, and school supplies. Under Humphrey's direction, the project also has expanded to include education and outreach. Student organizations, staff, and faculty can volunteer to be in charge of keeping a pantry stocked for a week at a time as part of the Adopt a Pantry initiative. The educational portion involves informing the community about the Drake neighborhood's diversity and the importance of stocking the pantries with culturally appropriate foods. The project's website at drake.edu forward slash community suggests shopping at stores such as Hillel Groceries, Ibrahim Grocery, Seafresh Market, United Market, and La Tapatia Grocery. Even the bulldog Griff II, Drake's mascot, has been in on the action. For his third birthday party at the Black Cat Ice Cream last July, his owner, Aaron Bell, hosted a food drive for the pantries. Similar birthday drives were held for Griff One. Griff II's predecessor. The pantries provide an easy and tangible way to help our neighbors, Bell says. I often come upon people taking things from the pantries, and I see that they are emptied soon after I fill them up. So I know the need is very much there, and I have no doubt people are relying on them to feed themselves and their families. How to help. Drop non-perishable groceries and other supplies at Drake's Little Food Pantries. They're located on campus in the Olmstead parking lot and at the Sprout Garden on Carpenter and 30th Streets. Find a map on the project's Facebook page, facebook.com, Drake Little Pantries. Editors note, Iowa Stops Hunger is a business publications corporation initiative to raise awareness of hunger in Iowa and inspire action to combat it. This story first appeared in DSM Magazine, sister publication of the business record. Next, from the business record's insider notebook, bits and Bites of the finer side of Iowa business. Trial Date Set for May 2023 in NAMI versus Mindspring Lawsuit by Joe Gardiaz. A trial date has been set for mid-2023 in a trademark infringement lawsuit filed last fall by the National Alliance on Mental Illness against its former Iowa affiliate, which is now known as Mindspring Mental Health Alliance. MindSpring, formerly NAMI Greater Des Moines, voluntarily surrendered its affiliate status in January 2021 and one year ago formally adopted new bylaws and new articles of incorporation in March. NAMI National alleged in its complaint that MindSpring continued to use NAMI-branded materials after its split with NAMI despite notification by attorneys for NAMI to cease and desist from using NAMI intellectual properties. The lawsuit, NAMI National v. MindSpring Mental Health Alliance, Inc., was filed in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Iowa. In an answer filed in January, MindSpring denied many of NAMI's claims and laid out a nine-point affirmative defense one point being that NAMI had abandoned its trademark by allowing use by third parties without quality control over use of the mark. MindSpring also argued that NAMI did not suffer any damage and requested that the court dismiss the suit. A final pretrial conference has been scheduled for April 12th, 2023, with a trial date of May 1st, 2023. Asked if a settlement may be reached before trial, R. Scott Johnson, an attorney with Frederickson Law in Des Moines, representing NAMI, emailed, The litigation between NAMI and MindSpring is continuing through the normal course. Settlement discussions frequently occur in these types of matters. NAMI does not comment on potential settlement discussions. Counsel for MindSpring, Matt Warner Blankenship, an attorney with Denton's Davis Brown, PC, responded with similar comments. Our next story from the Real Estate and Development section. West Des Moines Raises Budget for Conduit Network Citing Construction Disruptions by Sarah Bogards. After Mediacom filed a lawsuit against the city in December 2020, the future of West Des Moines' initiative to construct a citywide conduit network capable of delivering broadband internet to all residents, was left in question. Now the project is moving forward. Settlement negotiations began in September 2021, and a settlement agreement was reached in January. The city agreed to pay Mediacom $595,000 and agreed to allow the company and other internet service providers equal access to the conduit network. The network will be distinct as it provides space for more than one provider to access West Des Moines' rights-of-way, but the city is first navigating hiccups in the supply chain and with contractors that are, in turn, demanding a higher budget. Following the announcement of the settlement agreement, the West Des Moines City Council held a special meeting on January 24th, proposing an amendment to its Economic Development Digital Enterprise Urban Renewal Plan to raise the not-to-exceed cost of constructing the conduit network to $60 million because of, quote, increases in construction costs due to supply chain demands, end quote, according to the amendment. This is an increase from the $50 million not-to-exceed amount originally outlined in the Urban Renewal Plan approved by the Council in July 2020, Tim Stiles, West Des Moines finance director, said in an interview that the city set the upper limit at $50 million because officials believed at the start of the project that the amount would be more than enough to complete the project. Honestly, we were hoping the $50 million was just let's put it up there so we don't have to amend it, Stiles said. It's the not to exceed amount, so we said, well, Let's make it a higher amount just so we don't have to go through the whole process again, he said. Of the original $50 million limit, the city was initially authorized to borrow up to $42.8 million in general obligation urban renewal bonds. The amendment, which the council approved after a required public hearing at the city's February 21st council meeting, now allows the city to borrow up to $60 million in urban renewal bonds. The council also approved allocating $7.6 million of the city's American Rescue Plan Act funds to help finance the project and defray the total amount borrowed. Stiles said he will recommend that the city use up the ARPA funds before incurring more debt through bonds. The ARPA funds are also a contributing factor in the city not anticipating a need to borrow the maximum amount of $60 million, he said. According to the amendment, the need to amend the budget was driven by supply chain issues that disrupted the project in 2021. The amendment stated that raising the not-to-exceed amount for the project was driven by supply chain issues. West Des Moines City Engineer Brian Hemseth said the collared conduit pipes that residents have seen being installed across the city were available for the most part last year. But despite ordering them in advance, the vaults, which serve as access points for broadband providers installing their cables, were delayed, stuck on stalled container ships abroad. We really thought we were doing our due diligence in ordering these. It ended up that we just did not have very good luck with it, Hemseth said. The delays and limited supplies caused fragmentation in how the project progressed, he said. Contractors' usual processes were disrupted, costing them more money and making it more difficult to find subcontractors who wouldn't leave when the materials ran out. Other issues with contractors arose that Hemseth said perhaps caused greater cost setbacks than the supply chain disruptions. He said one contractor had difficulty keeping to the time frame and delivering the quality the city was looking for, which meant paying consultants to spend more time overseeing and inspecting their work. Consultants also had to do more outreach than the city expected to ensure contractors returned to restore residents' properties efficiently and effectively after completing construction. As the project has shaped up to involve more coordination than we ever thought, Hemseth said the city now knows the staffing requirements and what it needs to have set aside for consulting fees. This is a new project for the city, We are used to building roads, sewers, storm sewers, culverts, bridges. Those are our bread and butter, and those are the things that we were really good at, he said. I'm not saying we're bad at building conduit networks. We're just doing what we would do on some of those other projects and then finding out that that may not be the right thing, and we're adjusting as we go, he said. On the supply side, Hemseth said, this year the situation is reversed. Vaults are accessible again, but conduit pipes have an estimated delivery time of at least 12 weeks. The city worked that reality into its timeline, but it shouldn't pose as much of a problem. Many of the same contractors are bidding on the project, and he said that it is probably partly due to them having conduit stockpiled and knowing they can get more. Seth said the city has a new schedule and is working in phases to have the conduit network completed by September 2023. West Des Moines' difficulties during the construction phase may be a sacrifice for the sake of future benefits, however. Iowa-based Community Broadband Action Network works with communities in 12 states on improving broadband access and digital literacy. Co-founders Curtis Dean and Todd Kilkoff said there is incentive for cities to install conduit because space in their rights-of-way is limited and networks that can accommodate multiple providers keeps them from filling up. If communities aren't able to manage their rights-of-way proactively, they might get to a point where they just say to providers, there's no room, you can't install this conduit through our right-of-way in this area, Dean said. We've talked with a number of communities where maybe it's not the whole city, but there are communities that have areas where the rights-of-way are already full or clogged, he said. Hemseth said the city is trying to avoid that exact situation. Our rights-of-way are full of utilities— And that's really the reason why we're doing what we're doing, is to make more room in the rights of way for providers if they want to put their communications cables in the ground in the city of West Des Moines, he said. This future proofing will be important as technologies like 5G internet and other smart city features that require conduit emerge, Kielkopf said. He said if communities' rights of way are too full, future providers may hesitate bringing services to that area. If you can lower that premium by being forward thinking in conduit planning and technology planning in general, you're really solving a problem for 20 to 30 years, he said. With the legal issues resolved, Dean said more local communities may choose to pick up on the model West Des Moines is following such as Waterloo, which is currently designing a fiber-to-the-home network for the city and deciding how best to engineer it. I think that a lot of communities in Iowa were very closely watching how the whole West Des Moines case came out and probably were interested in the model, but wanted to make sure that it got through the legal process. So now the same terms should be, av- be available if a community wanted to be proactive on their own, he said. Dean said the City of Dubuque has been building a conduit network piece by piece over the last several years, installing stretches of it during each of the city's road projects. It attracted providers that wanted to lease space in the network and ultimately led to a commitment from Cedar Rapids provider I'm On to help build out the network to every home and business in the city. Dean and Kilkoff, who both have municipal backgrounds, said this model is not necessarily the best broadband solution for every city. Almost 30 of its member communities have used city-owned and operated municipal telecom utilities to deliver internet, in addition to other utility services, some since the 1990s. It provides the community and its leaders control over day-to-day decisions, but Dean said, there are a lot more communities out there that just want to solve the problem. They don't want to build a utility. They don't want to build an internet provider company. They just want to solve a problem, he said. Allowing providers, private providers to run fiber through the city's conduit is an answer that, quote, achieves the same end of better broadband service for the community, end quote but smaller cities stand to face different problems than West Des Moines. Kielkopf said it could be difficult to find a provider that is willing to enter a lease agreement and let go of control over the construction of the network as well as what they are able to charge for service. The other hurdle is in the financing, improving that there is enough demand in their city for broadband services to support any borrowing required. And even with enough demand for services, smaller or more rural cities may struggle to secure the bonds or loans because they could be relying on a single provider's creditworthiness to obtain the funding and only their revenues to pay back the debt. A bill in the Iowa legislature this session could change that, however. It would designate broadband conduit as a, quote, essential corporate purpose, end quote opening avenues of financing other than taxable bonds or loans based on revenue only, Dean said. Apple Project in Waukee Moving Forward, Construction Expected to Begin by Summer on Massive Data Center Campus by Kathy A. Bolton Apple Inc. has begun infrastructure improvements at the site in Waukee where it announced in 2017 that it planned on constructing a massive data center, a Waukee City official said. The city has approved construction drawings for public improvements and the Waukee City Council is expected to approve the site plan in April or May, said Brad Dietz, assistant city administrator. Construction will likely begin in the summer, he said. Apple, the Cupertino, California-based company behind products like iPhones, iPads, and Apple Watches, announced in 2017 that it would construct a state-of-the-art data center in Waukee on about 2,000 acres in the northwest section of the city near the intersection of Hickman Road and S Avenue. At the time of that announcement, the project was valued at $1.3 billion. Construction of the first phase was expected to be completed by 2020. However, in late 2019, Apple announced the project was being delayed so that more time could be devoted to its design. The Planning and Zoning Commission in February approved the preliminary and final plats for the project's first phase, as well as the site plan. The various pieces of the project must be approved by the Council before construction can begin. The first phase of the Apple project will be built on 529 acres and will include a 315,773-square-foot data center building, a 63,349-square-foot administration building, a 10,511-square-foot maintenance building, four network distribution buildings, and a guard building. Future data center buildings are planned. Construction of the data center campus is expected to be completed by 2027, company officials said in 2019 when the project was delayed. Apple, quote, has been very focused on staying engaged with us and keeping us well-informed throughout the process in terms of where they are on their timing, while key Mayor Courtney Clark said. As their building plans have changed, They've kept us updated, and yes, we are very glad to see them move forward, she said. And that does it for today's reading of the Business Record for Friday, April eighth, 2022. I'm your reader, Susan Hack. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, anytime. Thanks for listening.
1: From the Bureau of Economic Geology, this is EarthDate. Whales and dolphins are spectacular creatures. Their ancestors climbed out of the ocean 360 million years ago, developed lungs and legs, and evolved into mammals. Then, 50 million years ago, they walked back into the sea. To survive there, they developed specialized behaviors, which require even more special biology. Perhaps most famous is echolocation. They move air between sinus cavities to emit sound. When it bounces back to them, they don't hear it with their ears, but feel it in a fatty fluid in their lower jaw. Only toothed whales, like sperm whales, orcas, and dolphins can echolocate, which we think they developed to hunt prey, especially squid, in the darkness of the deep ocean. Baleen whales focused on other prey, floating shrimp-like creatures, and for this they developed comb-like plates in place of teeth. They can't echolocate, but are known for their elaborate songs. We think they use these for communication, but we're not sure how they produce them, since they don't have vocal cords. Both types of whales can hold their breath for 45 minutes or longer. To do this, they reduce their heart rate and cut blood flow to some organs, like the stomach, while providing it to others, like the brain. Even their blood is specialized. It can carry far more oxygen than land-dwelling mammals, and they have much more of it. Whales are an amazing example of what evolution can do, given enough time. I'm Scott Tinker, spouting off on EarthDate. EarthDate is produced by the Bureau of Economic Geology at the University of Texas at Austin, with support from Schlumberger, helping oil and gas companies increase production and efficiency while lowering environmental impact. You can hear more EarthDate stories at earthdate.org.